Coming up today on The Courier Daily, two things that soothe a stressed out mind, houseplants and meditation. I think all of plants are very comforting, so it's definitely a great time to, to get into this hobby. You know, we spend so long searching for a house, and I would say that your internal house, which is your body and your mind, and your general state of being are actually as important. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 5th of May, and this is The Courier Daily. For more than a month now, we've been checking in with small business owners all over the world to hear how they're surviving, adapting, and pivoting. And today, we're starting with a bit of meditation. Will Williams is the founder of Bija, a meditation startup that's developed a completely fresh technique inspired by the Vedic tradition. We featured Will before in the pages of Courier, where he spoke about his personal journey from a stressed-out, hard-partying music exec to becoming a meditation practitioner, then a teacher, and finally an entrepreneur. And Will joins me now on the line. And Will, basically pretty much everybody in the world right now is stressed out of their mind. To combat that, for those people at home, you guys started broadcasting online meditation courses recently, right? It was an immediate reaction to the situation because I built this whole BJ thing so that we could help people. There has never been a time in my life where there seemed to be so much need for help. And also it was interesting because I have tried always maintaining the absolute gold standard and I always felt that that was teaching personally. But of course the downside to that is not being able to reach people further afield. And it also seemed like an opportunity to just make sure that everybody had a chance to tune in if they wish. And I've got to be honest, I'm totally blown away by how successful it's been in terms of delivery of information and instruction and them being able to do it fantastically well. And in certain regards, it's actually better than a live course because that little chat box means that people can be thinking their questions and then asking them while I'm mid-flow and it doesn't break the flow and it just means the teaching experience is so much better. So actually, I think we'll stay this way after the crisis has passed. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about this crisis is that it's forced many businesses to pivot in ways that they think, you know, maybe I'll continue doing this forever, actually, because it's either more profitable or more efficient. Exactly. Also, from my perspective, it, it is more efficient. It means that I'm not necessarily going to have to run big, expensive centers, which have been very burdensome. Actually, the, the staffing of those centers, which is the biggest issue. And it also means that I can do what I need to do from wherever I'm at. So for example, if I'm on a retreat down in Sussex, I could still probably do a cheeky little course for people outside of there. Or if I'm on a business trip to America or Europe or wherever I might be, or even if I'm in India, it means I can go and teach on the side of the Ganges and have a nice little dip in the Ganges up in the foothills where it's nice and clean and then go and teach. And for me personally, it gives me a freedom, which I'm super happy about because I have been very chained to my studio and, you know, servicing people week after week after week. So everybody wins as far as I can tell. Is there anything that gets lost? You know, is there anything about being, you know, a foot away from someone that makes Bija meditation more powerful or no, not at all. You could just be in your living room and looking at a Zoom screen and it's the same effect. I thought the difference was going to be stark. It doesn't appear to be, actually. To be honest, I wouldn't have been able to do this when I first started out eight years ago because I needed that level of 
intimacy in order to be able to read people's energies give them the right mantra that would work best for them and you know develop that rapport and trust but i think now i've got a lot of confidence my ability to read people is super honed and from my perspective there's nothing lost i guess the only thing is possibly for the group maybe that lack of you know social bonding might be something that's not as much but they all seem to be having a good old chinwag you know when i call a break or whatever and i go and make myself a cup of tea they're all online chatting to each other as if they're in the same room so perhaps the only one is when people take advanced courses because they're going through this amazing rite of passage they find themselves being forged in this wonderfully intimate and connected environment and of course if everybody's only in a virtual room over a, the space of a year as I take them on this massive journey of development, then that sort of tribal element does get lost. So for that sort of thing, we will continue to do live stuff in the future. And maybe if it's a six weekend course spread over 10 months, three of the weekends will be live, three of them will be virtual. And then those who are international only have to come to say London three times in a year rather than six, because on our last course that I did like that. We had people from Stockholm, from Lisbon, from Germany, from Bucharest, from Detroit, one from South America, one from Australia and Dubai. So I'm just thrilled to be able to reach that much further. A lot of people are saying this is, uh, you know, the golden era of at-home fitness. I mean, at-home fitness was on the rise, but this has just accelerated that trend within the space of like two months. Do you think it's the same thing for meditation as well? I'm interested to see. It may well be. I haven't necessarily seen a particularly massive spike yet. Throughout recent history, the fitness thing has always gone first, and then it's gone to yoga, and then it's gone to meditation. So it might be that there is a lag. But yes, it will be picking up. Also with Bija, I guess we're at the top of the tree in terms of the quality that we're offering. And so what tends to happen is people start off with a headspace or a calm, an app or they might go down to their local Buddhist center or something like that. They come away feeling that there's more or they need help developing the habit than they find us. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the follow through from all of this, possibly from September onwards. You know, short of signing up to Bija and, you know, people should go out and do that. But short of that, what else can people do to have a calmer, more stress-free life right now during these crazy times? Well, there's a number of things, really. Obviously, one can assess one's goals or reevaluate all one's goals and values and see if they're in alignment and see if that's still optimal, because we probably set those goals several years ago, many years ago, and we've been slavishly following them without necessarily critically appraising them. And because when you're on the hamster wheel or in the rat race, it's difficult to find perspective. I think the first thing is find perspective. Secondly, the exercise regimes that they're talking about, you know, do some Joe Wick stuff. That's also an important part of mental health. Likewise, mental health follows through into physical health as well, or, or meditation certainly follows through to physical health. So just go out and try various different things. There's loads of free resources. We've got the Bija app and there's loads of free meditations on there. So if people are just wanting to dip their toe in the water, then download the Bija app and or any other app that takes your fancy and give it a go. But I wouldn't necessarily say it's as simplistic as, oh, do this breathing exercise for three minutes. Because yeah, you can offer that stuff out. But I don't know, it's a bit low grade, really. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like picking and choosing from various different schools of thought, and none of them are interconnected, I suppose, right? 
Yeah, that's right. It's just a bit of a higgledy-piggledy approach. And your mental health is far too important to just piss about like that. I mean, you know, we spend so long searching for a house and we spend so long, you know, trying to sort through all of the potential partners so that we can have a wonderful romantic life. And we probably do a shed load of work researching the kind of job we want. And I would say that your internal house, which is your body and your mind, and your general state of being are actually as important as all of those other things. So give it a little bit more attention and love because you get this right and the world is your oyster. And of course, if you're at your peak, then you'll be able to get a lovely house because you'll be highly productive and highly creative and highly personable and highly motivated. And of course, finding a partner is going to be much easier. But most importantly, regardless of external situations, you're going to be happy. And you don't then need to spend your life trying to chase the end of the rainbow, trying to feel like you will one day be happy because you will already be happy today. Next up, we talk plants. Frankie Athill is the head of marketing at Patch direct-to-consumer houseplant company here in London, and he joins me now on the line. Frankie, this must be the golden age for online houseplant startups. I mean, brick-and-mortar garden stores are closed in most places in the world. Everybody's at home. Everybody wants a plant to take care of. So how's that working out for Patch? Yeah, I think this has um, been a very, very odd time because in so many aspects of our life, it's been very, very challenging for all of us at Patch. But for the business, it has been a great opportunity. Uh, there's been quite a few different trends happening at the same time. One is that people are spending more time in the house. So they're looking for ways to easily, quickly make their home a nicer place to spend time. People also have lots of time to kill. So it's a good time to learn something. And urban gardening, tending to houseplants, is a great hobby. And we have a lot of content on that uh, patch. And then on top of that, you've got shops being closed. And most plants are bought in shops. Over 90% of the plants in the UK are typically bought in shops. and we're all personal massive fans of going to the garden center, but you just can't do that right now. So a lot of people who are regular plant buyers are being forced to try online, often for the first time. And then finally, you've got a lot of people wanting to send gifts as well, and that plants make fantastic gifts, similar to flowers, but they last longer, and we're now nationwide. So a lot of people have been coming to us to send loved ones gifts as a way of connecting and showing them love. So it has been a big spike in demand, and, and obviously the competition is, is temporarily closed. We have no idea how long it will last but we're just doing our best to serve as many of those customers as possible. So how have you guys adapted as a company then to meeting that demand? Have you hired, you know, for instance, temporary customer service reps or something like that to meet the demand? Yeah, we've hired a large number of temporary customer service reps as well as pickers in our fulfillment center in Holland, which is where we pick and ship all the plants. It's really been testament to how we've been set up. We're in the day one, we've been set up as a online plant company to scale quickly across the UK and Western Europe. And this has been obviously a big test of that scalable infrastructure and digitally native fast growth approach to this market. And it's so far done really, really well to, to stretch for this big, big, big increase in, in demand. A couple of weeks ago, we had on the founder of a giant, giant flower company in California, Farm Girl Flowers. And she was just saying, her whole supply chain was completely out of whack. I was just wondering if your supply chain for Patch, if you've had to pivot at all or adapt on the go. 
Yeah, so all our plants come from Holland, where they have a really incredible industry built around plants, where they are super efficient. There's a large number of really good growers, distributors, uh, they're very, very professionalized and it's very large scale. So that has made it reasonably reliable, even through this crisis. The biggest threat to us has really been our growers going out of business. Most plants are bought in shops, the shops have been closed. And that means that most of our growers, we work directly with 40 growers in Holland, most of the family operations, some small, some large, if they don't get the orders they need to keep their overheads going, then they're at threat of, of having to close down or, or at least reduce their capacity. We've been working as closely as we can with them to keep them afloat. And they'd be very thankful that customers are moving online, at least in the short term, keeping the orders coming in, which means we can make larger orders and the growers can keep the lights on through this rocky period for them. And as head of marketing, are you tweaking your Instagram ads, your Facebook ads, how much you're spending on those? Yeah, in terms of the content, obviously we see a lot of people working from home. So we produce more content about making a great work from home plant filled space, which is great content and it's a great new use of plants. We typically sell a lot of plants at offices. The offices aren't open, so people aren't investing there. So that's been one bit of content that we've been making. It's gone down well. Generally, when it comes to Facebook, yeah, we have been able to spend more. The costs on Facebook have gone through the floor from the big advertisers, either the retail companies not spending on certain areas, fashion, food, retail, which are big spenders don't need to spend because we're all going to the supermarkets like crazy. And so that's given us an opportunity to put more spend through Facebook. Uh, also, more people Googling for buying, buying plants online and plant delivery. So that means that we can add our allowable costs, put more money through, through Google and attract more customers that way. Are you tracking what specific plants people are searching for and kind of like tweaking your content around that? Do people want more succulents or something? Or do the people want more comforting ferns or something? <laughs> you know, Is a fern comforting? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of plants are very comforting. We give our plants nicknames. So I'm looking in front of me at Big Ken, who's our Kentia palm. It's partly because people don't speak Latin, so we try to avoid using uh, using the Latin names of plants. It's become very confusing. There's also to personify them. Rapunzel, which is our golden pothos, so it's a lovely trading plant, is going through the roof. Very, very popular. It's one of the best plants to give as a gift, which uh, I think is one of the reasons for that. So uh, we now ship nationwide and very affordably. You know, you can send your your grandmother or or your mum or your dad a trading plant. It has heart shaped leaves. And it's very, very easy to keep alive. So it makes for a great gift. And we've definitely seen a sales for that spike. You guys are great at educational tutorial videos, basically. We've talked about this before in the past, Frankie. I mean, you brought on a really great plant aficionado and journalist, Alice Vincent, a while back to record just basically how to take care of your houseplants. And I've noticed on your Instagram, you've been posting more tutorial videos again. Have you recorded fresh videos or are you reusing videos from the archive? Both. Uh, we've been recording a lot of new videos with our in-house plant doctors. So we have a plant doctor service for customers. If their plant is sick, they can send us photos and answer a few questions and our plant doctor team will try and diagnose a problem and suggest a cure. So we've been shooting more videos for them. Yeah, for free for, for our customers, just to send it over. That's alongside all of the kind of general guidance. If there's really, you know, the plants are really ropey, we've tried everything, send over and then you can get some, get some plant doctor consultation on us and we've been recording more videos directly to our instagram we've done partnerships with other brands doing some tutorials to their instagram followers on on igtv and, and stories and we've also shot a new series which which will be out on our youtube uh, in about two weeks so it's definitely a great time to to get into this hobby like we sell plants what we're really trying to do is kind of green up our life 
by making it very easy for anybody to live with plants. A big part of that is our content and simplifying all the lessons you need to learn to start becoming an urban gardener. What I'm really interested in is do those videos really drive sales or are they mostly a a marketing exercise for brand awareness or do you see like a big uptick in sales when you post one of those things? We wouldn't see an uptick immediately, you know, from posting one video, but we're very, very confident in the other that they drive sales because we use them in different parts of the sales funnel. So on our website, anybody can sign up for our free Houseplant Parenting course by just entering their email. Those people who enter their email, they're obviously interested in getting into this hobby. They're interested in living with plants. They then get nurtured through the course and after the course by our great emails, which are educational as well as obviously introducing them to different products. And they convert very well. But we also send this course to every customer. So customer may come directly to the site, bought something. We then send them the course as a way to educate them so that they are confident looking after their plant, they enjoy the experience, the plant doesn't die, and then they're set off on a great lifelong pastime. That's great for repeat purchases. We've introduced recently um, species-specific care. So these courses, they're really great for getting down the basics generally of how to look after plants. But a new initiative we brought in was sending emails they go into a bit more detail specifically about every species that we buy to those people that buy those plants on the day that they're delivered and we've seen a huge response to that people finding it so so helpful to have that full package detailed information about the plant they bought on the day that it's delivered so we're going to be trying to do a lot more with that to drive retention over the next year what are the biggest difficulties you guys have run into in the past couple of weeks like any brand right now who has to deal with this disrupted supply chain and stressful customers. I mean, you probably have to deal with customers writing Instagram comments about, you know, where's my plan? People like, you know, emailing you things. And I was on your Instagram and you have quite a a lot of customer service reps rapidly talking to people who are even just saying, you know, hey, my plant has brown leaves, you know, uh, how do I fix this? And somebody immediately responds. I mean, is that something you really drilled in on when the crisis hit that we have to like, you know, respond to customers immediately? Yeah, I think we've got really high standards for our customer service and just being helpful across our social channels and our customer service. Because what we're trying to be is we're trying to break down barriers to people getting into plants. We're trying to make plants accessible to more people. So that's a, that's a really big part of our business and worth investing in. We just kept ourselves to those high standards through this crisis. So we've seen a big spike in demand. We're not going to allow for the quality of the customer experience to dip. As a result of this volume increase, we're not going to trade it off. We're going to maintain those standards. And if we don't meet the standards, then we'll throttle demand. And we've actually done that to some degree. So we've pulled marketing from some areas of the UK to give ourselves a chance to make sure every customer comes through gets an excellent NPS, uh, which is how we, how we track it. We keep, keep ourselves to that standard. We're in it for the long haul and we want uh, a long life customer lifetime value and that, that really starts with that wow factor of, I didn't expect plants online to be this easy. I didn't expect plants to be this easy and enjoyable. And now I've gone through the experience. It's really opened my eyes and I'm going to get into this hobby and, and stick with this company for a long time. Are there any other tricks of the trade that you've picked up in the past couple of weeks doing what you're doing that might be helpful for others? If any company through this, whether it's kind of driven more demand or it's decreased demand, the crisis is going to bring uncertainty. And so we've been trying to re-forecast every week for where we think the trend's going to go. And I've been kind of leading on the demand side. You know, where do I think our demand's going to go for what we do with online plants? because I know that our buying team have to place orders for months in advance. 
you know, the, the delivery team have to know how many delivery drivers and pickers and customer service agents to have in one week, in three weeks, in three months. And they're all working around the kind of moving goalposts. So the way that we're managing that currently, which is reasonably successful, is having meeting twice a week. And in those meetings, I'm trying to bring a one month reasonably clear view of what we think is going to happen in the market for which I'm using Google Trends data, super, super useful now. It gives us a little early indication, early warning symbol for consumer behavior when people expect to be able to buy in shops again versus buying just online and also what kind of products they're looking to buy. On top of that, we layer on advertising costs. Where's the trend going with costs for our market in Google and Facebook? We also layer on where the repeat rates are going for these, these new cohorts that we've been acquiring, if they would be repeating more or less or roughly the same as the cohorts that we're used to, putting that together into a package and trying to pick a detailed view for one month and then at least a rough view for three months, having really regular check-ins so everybody's clear on the uncertainty. And that means that they can build the flexibility that we need into their plans. They can negotiate with the suppliers to have low commitments for large possible ranges. They can negotiate with our delivery company partners and picking partners to try and build that flexibility in. So whether demand goes up or down, we're not going to be... uh, too committed. And that's it for today's show. If you like the episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts. And as ever, sign up to our email newsletter, Courier Weekly, for more stories of pivoting, adapting, and growing. Just head to couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. This show is back again on Wednesday. <laughs>